This morning we are continuing a series on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Paul began last week introducing uh, this topic, this theme for the fall, and so we are going to look today about Christ's supremacy over creation, over the created order, over all things in heaven and on earth and in our lives. And so as we uh, prepare for that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning you've given. Uh, Even this morning, we recognize that uh, we did not wake in our own strength and power, but we woke and are here because of your sustaining, sovereign, supreme hand. Uh, You number our days. You give us life and breath. You know every hair on our heads or lack thereof, and we praise you. We praise you for the way you are so intimately, powerfully, and wisely ruling over our lives. And we pray that now as we turn to your word that you would speak, that you would reign supreme in our hearts and in our minds and uh, speak to us in just the way that you know we need this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two years ago, the... Pew Research Group published a multi-year study of religion in America. Between the years 2012 and 2017, they were studying various issues and themes in American religious life, and they discovered, they learned that those who identify as religious between these years of 2012 and 2017, the people who identify as religious decreased from 59% to 48%. And interestingly, at the same time, those who identify as spiritual but not religious increased from 19% to 28%. Now, it's early in the morning, and percentages and labels like that may may not immediately strike you as significant, but what's interesting, I'll spell out for you, what's interesting is that while religion in our country, in our culture, is declining, spirituality is on the rise. Spirituality is on the rise. What is spirituality? Well, spirituality is a way of thinking about or experiencing or relating to invisible spiritual forces. Spirituality believes in something inspired or divine, but not necessarily in a theistic, personal God. Spirituality minimizes the visible and material things of earth in order to find true meaning, true joy, true fulfillment in what is invisible and immaterial. Broadly speaking, spirituality is the stuff of celebrities like Oprah and pop scholars like Brene Brown, um, public intellectuals like Jordan Peterson, who the New York Times has identified as the most significant public intellectual in the world today. It's the stuff of movies like Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts, this interest in Eastern religion and practice. It's even uh, seen in the Star Wars movies over the decades, and the great Jedi benediction, may the force be with you, right? 
this non-theistic, invisible, immaterial idea that there is some other invisible reality and force and there is something powerful about tapping into it. As the renowned Christian philosopher Charles Taylor has observed, we no longer live in the age of reason, which is the enlightenment, but we live in the age of authenticity. In the age of authenticity, faith and is no matter, no longer a matter of who or what you believe in, but faith is a matter of how genuinely and how intensely you believe, how strong your feelings of inspiration are. And so combining the East's ancient mysticism and the West's kind of postmodern individualism, spirituality is increasingly influencing our culture and even our church and the Christian church. And the question I want us to ask for just a moment as we begin reading this passage is the question, is Christianity a spirituality? In what sense is Christianity a spirituality? Well, Christianity is not spirituality. It is not like these things. It's not less than a spirituality, but Christianity is far more, and it's far more in particular because as the Bible speaks about who we are and what our world is and who God is, it presents to us a personal God. It presents to us uh, a God who speaks to us by His Word. We don't have to go chase and find and discover And most importantly, and what we're going to see this morning, is that the Bible speaks of a physical world which he created and over which he reigns. The material stuff of life is caught up in what we believe about God. Our bodies, our yards, the weather, all of this is caught up in our faith. It's an intimate, personal, real connection with what we believe about God. In many ways, the book of Colossians is is a book that Paul writes as, uh, as a letter combating ancient spirituality and how it was infesting the church in the first century. Paul was thinking of a spirituality probably something like Gnosticism, and he writes the book of Colossians dominantly around the theme of reminding Christians that God exists and rules and reigns over the material stuff of our world. He is creator, he is sustainer, and he is intimately, powerfully, really involved in every cell of our bodies and moment of our lives. And so knowing him is not a matter of escaping this world. It's a matter of seeing his work in it and his love proved and revealed in it in Jesus. And so Colossians is all about this. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 is our passage for this morning. This is the great classic statement of Colossians. It's one of the great Christological formulas of the New Testament revealing Jesus' divinity and character and work. And this morning, we're going to look at it and think about it for a few moments, about what it says about Jesus' relationship to creation. 
and Him reigning supreme in creation. So Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. These verses aren't necessarily or exactly chronological in terms of thinking about history and redemptive history, but they generally follow a chronological pattern. And so I want to think about how these verses reveal Christ's supremacy in creation starting in the beginning, moving into the present, and then looking towards the future. How do these verses reveal and tell us about Christ's reign as supreme over all these things? Well, verses 15 and 16 begin by talking about how in the beginning Jesus was present and active in the creation of the world. Verse 16 says, By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. Now, if you flip to Genesis chapter 1, you're probably familiar with those verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We read this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So often when we think about creation, when we think about that original creative act of God, of Him speaking all things into existence by the word of His power, we think of it um, usually, innately, as a work of God the Father. That in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, we think, well, God the Father must have been the one who created because Jesus doesn't show up until the New Testament, right? But we believe Jesus is eternally God. We believe you can't divide the members of the Trinity, Father from Son or Spirit. Genesis 1-2 speaks about the Spirit's activity in creation, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And when we get to the New Testament, to books like Colossians, but also to a book like John, John chapter 1, you'll remember, talks about Jesus being eternally God and being present and active in creation. John 1, verses 1 through 3. Remember what John says there. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? It's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And then John states it in the negative. Without Him was not anything made that was made. 
He could have just kept it simple. But he's emphasizing and reminding us that Jesus made all things. Jesus was active and participating in creation. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because Jesus reigns supreme. His supremacy over creation is a result that he is the creator. He reigns and rules over all things because he made all things. And he made all things in his divine power. And so John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews chapter 1, which we're looking at in worship this fall, speaks again of Jesus active in creation and upholding all things by the word of his power. And sometimes we may treat uh, the Bible's vision of creation just merely as a historical, scientific fact, but it is crucial for us to see that Jesus was active in creation because Jesus continues now to rule and reign over everything he's made. All things were created by Christ in the past. And in the present now, all things, as a result of that, all things are ruled by Christ. And so verses 17 and 18 begin to unfold some of the significance of this, some of the significance that that Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Why is that so important? Verses 17 and 18 tell us this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. There is nothing visible or invisible Nothing on earth or in our universe or in whatever other universes and galaxies exist. There is nothing in all of the created order that Jesus does not reign over because he made all things and he upholds all things. There is, in the ordinary stuff of life, there is no possession that you own that Jesus does not reign over. There's no vocation that you have that Jesus is not intimately involved in. As I prayed earlier, our life and breath, even our holding our eyes open, hopefully, at this very moment, it's a product, it's a result of, it's a manifestation of Jesus upholding all things by the word of his power. There's no ordinary thing that's beyond Jesus' reign. There's no extraordinary thing that's beyond Jesus' reign and supremacy. There is no medical diagnosis you could experience that Jesus does not have supremacy over, influence over, control over. There is no natural disaster that can come upon us over which God and Jesus is not intimately involved. You remember a few Weeks ago, as this Hurricane Dorian is approaching the Bahamas, several reached out to uh, one of our former pastors, Julian Russell, and asked him how he's doing and how we could pray. And I remember Julian communicated back to many of us, he's confident in two things. Number one, God is good. And number two, God is sovereign. That's an uncomfortable thing to believe when a hurricane is crouching at your door. 
that God is sovereign. It's an uncomfortable thing to believe that God is sovereign when you do get a problematic medical diagnosis. Why is it problematic? Right? Why do we sometimes tense up or experience confusion when we so strongly affirm that Jesus reigns over all things? Well, it's because we see bad things happen in the created order. We experience the brokenness of a fallen world. And if we say, Jesus reigns over my body, and my body is afflicted, broken, dying, that we say Jesus reigns over all created things, over oceans and winds and rains, and he allows hurricanes to come, it creates a bit of confusion and even crisis, because then we have to say either God in his reign over all these things positively causes them and is therefore somehow perhaps evil or malevolent, bringing these things into our lives, or we're left perhaps saying, well, maybe he doesn't really reign in the way we think he does. Maybe he doesn't really have power over all things. Maybe somehow he, he created it, as the deist would say, he created it and then stepped back and that through whatever influence of man and natural phenomena, things have just kind of broken down in time. Well, the Bible presents an alternate view which calls us to hold these two things together, to say Christ reigns supreme over creation, over all things, and the creation is broken. And he allows sin and suffering and disaster in our world, and we believe he allows it and reigns over it, and we don't always know why, and we rarely know why he allows it. Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, actually once the prime minister of the Netherlands, he says this, He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's not a square inch over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. But so often we are bumping up against these things which erode our confidence in that idea, that erode our confidence that as Colossians 1.17 says, that in him all things hold together because our lives don't feel that way. Our lives don't often feel like they are being held together. Our lives often feel like they are falling apart. I remember last fall, uh, last July, my mother was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer last fall, Um, She came on a Monday night to the session for prayer, as some of you have done, coming in a health crisis or a personal crisis of some kind and coming for the elders to pray for you. It's something scriptures encourage and model, something we practice as a church. And so my parents came and were prayed for by the session, hands laid on, anointing with oil. And I remember... Um, in that time of prayer with my hand on my mother's knee, 
not altogether sure that it was working. Not really confident that these words were being heard and would be effective. Now that sounds incredibly poor for a Christian man or a pastor or a son to fail to believe in a context of great faith and confidence in God and the elders of our church. But my mind was so, so fixed on her disease, the meditations of my heart were, were so wrapped in around the reality of her suffering, I was failing to meditate on, failing to see, failing to observe, and weak because I was failing to remember in Jesus all things hold together. And that even if he allows suffering in this present age, it's not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And that he's present with us in the midst of our suffering. That he never wastes suffering. That his purposes are being worked out even in the midst of danger and disease and decay. And most amazingly, I was failing to see how the most important way Jesus reigns over creation The most amazing way he reigns over creation is not by simply creating the world. It's not by being the most powerful being in the universe. The most beautiful, the most amazing, the most powerful expression of his supremacy over creation is that he entered into it. That he was made like us. That he tasted our sadness. That he suffered that he subjected himself to a cursed creation. Think of the cross of Christ. Not only the incarnation, but think of the cross. Here, Jesus, who reigns supreme, who upholds the world and the universe by the word of his power, allows himself to be stripped and beaten and bloodied and pierced. He who subjected creation to futility because of the fall, as Romans 8 says, subjected himself to a futile creation. His supremacy is most clearly and beautifully seen in how he enters into a broken creation to rescue us from it and through it. And so... The passage speaks of Jesus holding all things together, but it also speaks clearly of his work of incarnation, of crucifixion, of resurrection. Verse 18 speaks of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. He's supreme over creation because he was raised again. Verse 20 speaks of him making peace by the blood of his cross. And so now, in our lives, knowing that Jesus reigns over all things, knowing that he entered in to the creation over which he reigned for us and for our salvation, and subjected himself to it that he would deliver us from it, we have the confidence that Romans 8 speaks of at the end, that nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. Why? Because he reigns over all creation. 
and because he has proven his love and secured us to himself by his being subjected to the cross and being raised again. Because of Christ's finished work in creation, in this created world, his love for us can never be removed. No matter how weak our faith is, as mine was last fall and continues to be in many ways to this day, no matter how weak our faith is, it is not the quality or quantity of our faith in Jesus which keeps us tethered to him. It's the object of our faith. It's Jesus' supremacy over us. It's Jesus' supremacy over our faith which upholds us. As Paul said last week at the beginning of this series, he said the great question for us is not what is the, the size of your faith or the quality of your faith, but what is the size of your Savior? Who is your God? Who is Christ? And because Christ reigns supreme, because Christ entered in, because Christ has made peace with, for us by the blood of his cross and is the firstborn from the dead, we will experience not only sustaining grace, his sustaining supremacy over creation in our lives so that we can view every disease and every disaster and every blessing and every moment of beauty in a created world. We can view those knowing that he reigns sovereign and supreme over them and give him praise. But we now look to a future we look to a future in which Jesus' supremacy over creation will finally be fulfilled. I want to end here, Revelation chapter 21. We're going the full scope from Genesis to Revelation this morning, thinking about the story of Jesus' reign over creation. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6, portray this beautiful picture of how Jesus, the Creator, the Savior, the king seated on the throne not only reigns so strongly that he is able to cause us to endure through life in a broken world, but that the end of the story is not just his sustaining grace through life in the broken world. The end of the story is that he is making all things new. He is transforming the material stuff of this world. He will one day purge all that is evil and reintroduce all that is righteous and good. And so Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6, lay out this beautiful picture of a new heavens and new earth. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just look down at these last two verses of Revelation 21, verses 5 and 6. Again, speaking of Jesus, John writes, He who was seated on the throne, that is Jesus, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And that's where I want to close. With that last phrase, we've seen that Jesus is supreme over all. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He reigns. He entered into creation to redeem us and rescue us. And the hanging question is, well, how do we take advantage of it? How do we 
how do we enjoy fellowship with this awesome, sustaining, supreme king of all? How do we enjoy fellowship with him? How can we taste and experience what he described in the, the early verses of Revelation 21? This, this experience of life with God where there is no more pain or hunger or thirst or even death anymore. How can we taste those springs of living water in our souls and even in our bodies for Jesus has promised that all who are in Christ will be raised to new life, transformed and glorified in the material stuff of our bodies, just as he was. How can we take advantage of it? What do we have to do? What do we have to give? How can we earn it? We can't. How do we receive it? Jesus says there at the end of verse 6, if you are thirsty for these things, thirsty to know the living God who reigns, thirsty to experience new life in Him spiritually and physically, eternally. If you're thirsty for those things, here is the way. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of living water. Life without payment. And that's the marvelous and beautiful thing about the story of the gospel and the story of Christ's supremacy is that the supreme God comes to us. He doesn't hold us at a distance. He comes to us. He rescues us. And he extends to us life without payment, without cost, simply asking us to receive and believe in him, the supreme creator, savior, and King. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning that you've given again, and we thank you for these incredible promises from your word. We can't begin to understand all that it means when you say that, that you uphold the universe by the word of your power, that in you all things hold together. We certainly don't understand all that you mean by making all things new. What a wonder and what a mystery it is. But we pray that by your Spirit, you would work in us enough understanding to believe. By your Spirit, may you strip away unbelief and implant in us hearts of flesh that would receive and believe, that would acknowledge our limitedness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our waywardness our need for life in Jesus. And we pray that you would give us that faith and give us that life freely through him, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.